morning. It is good to be with you. It's good to see all of you here. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather and assemble and to praise God by joining our voices together. In our culture today, religion is viewed by many people as simply some man-made organization that exists and functions simply to satisfy people. Whatever people want, what will make them happy. And so, church assemblies and church activities today, in many places across the land, are provided simply to make people feel good. That is, they offer some convenient uh, opportunities so everybody can be comfortable with themselves. And so different groups will seek a variety of ways to try to stimulate the pleasure factor of people. And so they find ways to stimulate people's physical senses, their, their wills, their wishes. And it does not challenge their mind or challenge their heart regarding righteousness, regarding God's righteousness. And so for many people today, you know, what they are looking for is some kind of an experience. And if they do not get some adrenaline rush by this experience, well then they'll start looking elsewhere for some other place to try to do what's going to make them happy because they feel so unsatisfied. And so they look for another church according to their wishes, their wants, what will please them. Because they're not there to do God's will, they're there to do their own will. But in the midst of life's heartaches, in the midst of life's problems and hardships, man does need a source of hope. We do need a source of peace. But is peace determined, is peace decided upon a person's emotions, a person's experience, or is peace determined upon truth? This morning I want to talk some more about the idea of worship. And how worship is a Worship is a spiritual activity, but it's an activity that's intended to honor God, to exalt God, and, and we understand that concept. But according to John 4, when Jesus is teaching the Samaritan woman and talks about the right kind of worship, as you study and meditate on that passage, what we can learn from that, one thing that we can conclude from that text is this. That all worshipers of God, all worshipers of Jehovah, do not necessarily worship in a pleasing way. They do not worship in a manner that is pleasing to God. It is not in accord with spirit and truth. And so Jesus warns us about vain worship. About worship that does not please God. And as a result, when it does not please God, it does not benefit God, and nor does it benefit us either. And so is the emptiness or the uselessness of vain worship, is that because a worshiper's experience is one that is emotionally poor? Or is it because 
person has failed to worship according to God's commandments. Which one is it? Which makes it vain? Is it my experience that determines whether it's vain or not? Or is it God's judgment of it? God's will always needs to take precedence above everything. God's will needs to take precedence above even our own thoughts and our own opinions and our own feelings. Worship is an intentional expression. It's a way of communicating our faith and our love. And it's a way to say who we love. And so the one we love is going to get our attention. So do we love God or do we love the world more? Do we love God or do we love ourselves more? Who are we trying to please here? Are we, are we trying to please God or are we trying to please ourselves based upon what we can derive from it? What kind of experience we can have from it? So that makes us happy. It makes us feel good. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, you have a very familiar verse that you can quote. And it says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself. Nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Jeremiah 10, 23. But we need to see that statement in the context of Jeremiah. And we need to see that statement in the context of chapter 10. And so when you look very carefully at this chapter, what we see that the context here is God's judgment. It is God's judgment upon the nation of Judah, upon the people of God... Because they have been practicing idolatry. They've been worshiping something while at the same time worshiping God. And so God pronounces judgment upon them. They are committing all kinds of abominations that are going to receive the just outpouring of God's wrath. So it is in that context that Jeremiah then states, I know, O oh Lord. That a man's way is not in himself. I know that, Jeremiah is saying. And Jeremiah is also saying it is not in man to, to, uh, who walks to direct his steps. And when you, when you read the last few verses of this chapter, beginning in verse 23, it says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord. I know... I don't know how to walk. I know I don't know how to live, Lord. I need you, God. And so Jeremiah says, correct me, O Lord, but with justice. See, it's in the, it's in the context of judgment. And God is, is pronouncing judgment upon the sin and the disobedience of his nation. And Jeremiah responds in the way, correct me, O Lord, with justice, not with your anger, or you will bring me to nothing. God has been talking about anger here. The wrath is going to be poured out against Judah and the people of God. And the rest of the book will address those matters. He says, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you. And on the families that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob. They have devoured him and consumed him. And have laid waste his habitation. Man needs both God's instruction as well as God's correction. So, if a man is inadequate to direct properly his own steps in life in general, if it's, if it's true that man does not know how to direct
correct his debts in a genuine way properly before God, then how can he reason? How can he think that he knows, that he, he can decide, he can determine what kind of worship pleases God? How can man think that he knows what kind of worship God wants from us? What kind of worship God desires when uh, in the very general sense, in the best basic manner of life, we stumble? Only, but only by divinely inspired revelation, only by God's word can we know what God's will is on everything. And that's true about worship. And you turn over there to, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And as Paul is making defense about being guided by the Holy Spirit into truth, he says this to us and to them as well. Things which eye has not seen, chapter 2, verse 9. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man. All that God's prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. What can I know? I can know what God has given me. I can know what God has revealed. How? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not determined by my own sight or my own hearing or my own heart. It is determined by what God has predetermined, what God has prepared. And so therefore, the worship, the worship which God's prepared for those who love him has been revealed. It has been revealed to us by the Spirit in the gospel. And so God's will, God's word must take precedence Always, on every matter, and that includes worship. It takes precedence of our feelings, our emotions, you know, our thoughts and our opinions, our wishes. God's will takes precedence. Because I do not know the mind of God. All I know is what God has said. All I know is what God has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. An important lesson that we can learn from that Old Testament example back in Leviticus chapter 10. Where we look to the days of, uh, of Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, who brought before God profane fire. They offered unacceptable worship. They were priests. And they offered unacceptable worship, an unacceptable sacrifice. And the lesson we need to learn from that is this. Do not do what God has not commanded. That's the lesson there. Do not do ever what God has not commanded. You'll pay the price. 
God will not accept you. So God's will, God's will, God's words must take precedence. It must be the rule. It must be the guide in all that we do, including how we worship. God accepting our worship is more important than pleasing us. It's, it, God being pleased with what we have done today is more important than me feeling better when I leave. Now, can I benefit from worshiping God acceptably? Yes. But the point is, my emotional condition at the end of an assembly is not the goal. The goal is present what God will accept. Do what God will accept. And how can I know that? The only way I can know that is with the Spirit of God who knows the mind of God has revealed to us so that we can know what God has freely given to us. In Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul makes this statement about his, his ministry, about his apostleship, about his discipleship in Christ. And he asks, do I seek to please men? And his answer is, if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul was a bondservant of Christ. He was enslaved for the cause of the gospel. He was in prison. And so he says, I wouldn't be here if I was trying to please, please myself. I wouldn't be here if I'm trying to please people. I'm here because I'm all about pleasing God. I'm all about pleasing Christ, doing God's will. And so whether we're speaking of our general obedience to God, or whether we're talking about our worship before our Creator, the object of all that we do is God. He's the bottom line of everything. Now, true worshipers must be engaged in the worship. We must be participators. It, you know, we, don't, we don't worship God in spirit and truth without being involved, present, not just physically, but present spiritually in heart and mind, engaged in what is going on and what, we're, we're, what we are doing. So yes, we need to be engaged in participators and partakers of worship. But worship is about God. It's about God. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It's not about us. Worship is about God. And so the aim is to, is to present to God and to present that which God will accept from us. That's what the most important thing is. Us doing what God is going to be pleased with. What, what God said, this is what, what I've commanded. This is what is right. Now today in our modern, modern world, in our culture, many if not the majority often offer their worship that which makes them feel good, what makes them happy, what they find pleasure doing. I like to sing with you. I like to sing hymns with the congregation. But whether or not I like to sing is insignificant. It's secondary. I need to sing and make my heart 
to the Lord because that's what God asks of me. That's what God commands me to do. So whether I like singing or not is unimportant. The Lord has revealed it. The Lord has spoken. The Lord has commanded it. So therefore, I must do it. And so that's just one example of the idea. Whether I find pleasure doing it is insignificant. It's secondary. It's what does God find pleasure in me doing? And the gospel reveals to us that as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, as children of God in Christ... We must offer what God will accept from us. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Another familiar passage. That we're going to take the time to read this morning. In verse 5 where it says, You, talking to Christians, says, You, as living stones, are being built up. And you're being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's important for you to notice that that word acceptable is there. It doesn't say you are a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. That word acceptable is pretty important. And so what we present to God needs to be acceptable to Him. He's the determining factor. And so yes, we're, we are to offer sacrifices, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices, we are this house of God, we are this priest of God, but what we do needs to be things that are acceptable to God. Proclaiming praises to him is one of the things that God wants to do. And we do that through song, we do that through prayer, we do that through teaching, through exhortation. But once again, proclaiming praises to him need to be praises that are acceptable to him. Verse 9 of the same chapter, he says, you're our chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Who's called out of darkness into his marvelous light. But they must be acceptable praises. Divine acceptability determined once again by the very simple fact that it must be according to God's will. And God defines that. God is the determining factor of what his will is. And he has revealed that will to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to Romans 12. You know what that's about? It talks about us being living sacrifices. It's not just talking about worship. It's talking about our entire life is to be sacrificial toward God. He said, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God. Acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What is good? What is acceptable? What is perfect? God's will. That's what's good. And that's what's acceptable. And that's what's perfect. And therefore, we are to present ourselves our lives, our worship, all 
sacrifices that God will accept. And so, acceptable prayer, acceptable singing, acceptable teaching, acceptable proclamation of the Lord's death and remembering him through his supper, all of that is set forth in the scriptures. God has told us what he will accept. And that's what we need to be doing. We don't need to add to it. We, need to, we don't need to take away from it. We don't need to do anything that God has not commanded. Therefore, we're not at liberty to change divine directives to suit ourselves, to please our senses, to please or gratify our wishes and wants. True worshipers are going to glorify God's name. They're not going to glorify man's ability. Take, for example, Apollos. Recall, Apollos was a believer who was taught more accurately the way of the Lord by uh, Aquila and Priscilla and became a bold spokesman, a bold messenger of the gospel for the rest of his life. And we are told in Acts 18, verse 24, that this speaker, this man, was an eloquent man. He was good. He was an eloquent speaker in the scripture. Something that Paul never used to describe himself. But he did. But he, Apollos described that way. He was good. He was one good preacher. You wanted to hear Apollos. But what's interesting about this very talented man is that he was just a co-worker. No matter how good he was or how eloquent he was with his words, he was simply a co-worker with other Christians in the work of teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you turn over to, to 1 Corinthians again, you look there in the third chapter this time. And Paul is talking about his work and also the work of Apollos in the gospel. And he, so he asked the question there in verse 5, you know, you know, what then is Apollos? You know, who is Apollos? And he goes on and, and he, said, asked, he said, well, what is Paul? Who, who's, who's Paul? Who are these guys? He says, servants. That's all they are. Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I have planted Paulus water. That's all that we were. Someone sowed some seeds. Someone else came by and watered on it. And then you grew. But the sentence goes on to say, but God. The contrast is, but God. God was causing There was work Apollos and he was doing and needed to be done. And there was work Paul was doing and needed to be done. But God, God was the one who was growing things. Not Paul. Not Apollos. It is God who gives the increase. It is the power of God's word. It is the power of his son's gospel. It is the power of God's truth that saves and grows what's good and right and acceptable before God. Not men. It's not in us. And so true worshipers are all about glorifying God. It's not at all about glorifying ourselves. 
In Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Another familiar passage to you. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, God says. Now, Psalm 46 is a psalm. And it is a song that reminds us of how God is in control. So if you went back there and you read the entire psalm, you'd find that this statement is in the context of God is in control of everything. And therefore, in God, in Him is security. Because God is in control. And that security in God is, is, is real. It is it is. It is it is present even during times when the world is falling apart all around you. That's what Psalm 46 is about. And he says, be still. Be still and know. Know I am God. We need to be right at that today and every day. And because he is God, he is to be exalted among the nations in all the earth. And so the true worshiper, the worshiper that's acceptable before God, the true worshiper is going to be convicted by God's reality. He's going to be convicted by God's promises. And as a result, his reaction is going to be one of exalting him. Praising Him, lifting up Him, particularly at times when we reflect upon all the mighty works that God has done and that God is still doing. When we take time to be still and know God, we should be moved genuinely, sincerely to worship and to praise Him. And that's exactly what we're told to do in the Scriptures. To worship God. To praise God. In Revelation chapter 14, you have one of the angels in the book of Revelation you know, being seen by John in a vision. He says, I saw another angel flying in the mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach. An eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. So here's an angel. He's got the eternal gospel that is to be preached to all men. And listen to what the angel said. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God. Fear God and give Him glory. Because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him. Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. So here's this angel announcing to the world in the book of Revelation. That men are to worship the true and living God. He is worthy of worship. But that worship must be acceptable. It must be worship that pleases God, not ourselves. In Acts chapter 14, you have an, an occasion where you've got the apostle Paul and Barnabas preaching the gospel on the first missionary journey. And they've gone to one place and they have healed a crippled man. And the people have witnessed this amazing miracle and they're about to offer sacrifices and worship to Paul and Barnabas. And what do they do? 
Verse 15, he, they cry out to the multitude. He said, men, why are you doing these things? We are men of the same nature as you. And we, see, we preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things. Speaking of the uh, idols that they bow to. He said, you need to turn from these vain things to a living God. The God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Same thing the angel said in Revelation. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself with that way. You could have known who the true, true living God. He did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seeds, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He goes on to say here in verse 18, and even saying these things, with difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice. Paul and have done something, an amazing thing here. But they're still simply servants of God. God is to be worshipped. And he's to be worshipped in a manner that he will accept, that pleases him. So our abilities are going to vary, obviously, among ourselves in different areas. And we'll excel in one area and someone else will excel in another area. But that doesn't matter. Because all of us have the same responsibility. We have the same responsibility to do what? To worship God. To give Him what pleases Him. To give Him what He has told and asked us to do. That's what we all can do. And that's what's most important. And so everything we do in the assembly must be done, yes... Decently in order as the gospel teaches. It needs to be done in accord with God's will. And it needs to be done as revealed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so therefore faithful men need to be edifying one another. How? Through acceptable prayers and acceptable songs and acceptable teaching. And every member who is participating in that worship must participate in the spirit of faith and love and humility. So that God is exalted, so that God is glorified, not us. And that is why New Testament worship is designed in such a way that sets the mind on the things of God and not on the things that satisfy our senses. Whether it sounds good or looks good or feels good or tastes good, it doesn't matter. What matters is God. And so we have to be careful. We have to stand alert. Because we, as human beings, we are both spirit and flesh. And so we have to be careful that our worship is not based on how it gratifies our physical senses. We like it when it sounds good. You know, we like it when things look good. And that's not necessarily wrong. But that's not the main point. The main point is we need to be doing things that are acceptable to God, that pleases Him. And that's exactly what the gospel of Christ teaches and shows us and patterns for us. If we're not careful, we can be led astray just like those that Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said the time would come, they'll grow tired of sound doctrine. And what, what, are, they, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to find teachers... That will heap up for themselves, you know, that is according to their desire. They're doing what they want. 
Worship is a time to, to communicate what? To communicate our love, communicate our faith for God, our Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, our words need to come from pure hearts that give honor and glory to Him by doing His will. And as we do that, those same spiritual words will prick our hearts and prick one another's hearts and direct our thoughts where? Upward. Upward to God, where they need to be. It's as Paul says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He talks about how their, their work was about bringing down fortresses. And it wasn't about physical fortresses. It's talking about the fortresses of the mind and of the heart. And he goes on to say, and he's talking about how bringing every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. That includes our worship. That includes what we do here in an assembly like this, in every assembly we have. It needs to be done in such a manner that it pleases God. Those who love God will worship God. And they, want, and they will want to do so often. Why? Because they long to have that communion with their Father. They want to spend time with their Father. They want to be close to their Father. But that relationship must be based upon God's will. And so that's why acceptable worship must first be according to God's will. According to what He has said. And so that's why He has spoken. So that we can. We can know his mind and we can know his heart by the things that he's given to us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've not confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, repented of your sins, and turned to him in obedience, in baptism, well then your life separates you from God. And your worship is not acceptable. It's not acceptable because you're not living the way you ought to live. If we can assist you any way today to make your life right with God, with Jesus Christ and through Christ, we want to encourage you to do so. If you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to consider committing your life in obedience to Him and begin the journey of walking a new life pleasing to God. But if you are a Christian and there's sin in your life that you have not repented of, we want to encourage you to do that today while you still have the opportunity. And if we can assist you by praying with you and praying for you, we invite you, encourage you, please come now. Make your wishes known when we stand and sing the song as the select.